I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3, Post Media's Canadian Current Affairs podcast. On this episode, the federal government and by extension the Canadian people find themselves owners of a multi-billion dollar pipeline and its multi-billion dollar expansion. How we got here, what hurdles the project still faces, and whether the project can survive an onslaught of protests that opponents vow will grow. It's Thursday, June 7th. If the path forward for the pipeline through BC is not settled soon, I am ready and prepared to turn off the taps. The federal government has reached an agreement with Kinder Morgan to purchase the existing Trans Mountain Pipeline and the infrastructure related to the Trans Mountain Expansion Project. As of today, this is the most certainty that this project has ever had. Jeffrey Morgan is the energy reporter for the Financial Post. So Jeffrey, to back things up a bit for people, what did the feds do last week? So on Tuesday of last week, uh, Finance Minister Bill Morneau and Natural Resources Minister Jim Carr announced that they were going to pay Houston-based pipeline company Kinder Morgan $4.5 billion. And uh, in that deal, take over the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which runs from Alberta to British Columbia, and also take ownership of the expansion project. So that's another project that has yet to be built. The feds have yet to spend another $6.3 billion on that project, um, but they're going to assume ownership of it. And how do we get to this point? Well, there had been warning signs for a few months leading up to this point, uh, but what happened was on April 8th, uh, Kinder Morgan CEO Steve Kane announced that unless the federal government stepped in and resolved some of the dispute between Alberta and British Columbia and provided a route forward for the pipeline through BC, uh, what they would do is uh, potentially walk away. So the company gave the federal government a deadline. They said, we can't, um, we as a company, they said, uh, can't navigate a fight between two different provinces. A company is too small, despite being despite being a large pipeline company. They said they don't have the power to resolve the dispute between two different provinces, and so they needed Ottawa to step in. Uh, when I spoke with Natural Resources Minister Jim Carr, he said he didn't know that a deadline and an ultimatum was coming. They knew that the company was increasingly concerned in recent months, but they didn't know that they intended to issue an ultimatum. And, uh, and that ultimatum was given on April 8th. The deadline was May 31st. And the company uh, reached a deal just a couple days before the deadline. So the deal, I, I think most of us can take as a sign that Kinder Morgan didn't feel that the feds were going to work anything out with BC anytime soon. And we're likely going to walk away. I, th- I think there's uh, certainly Kinder Morgan indicated that they didn't want to proceed with the project given the current regulatory environment and given current legal challenges from British Columbia. Um, however, this was a fairly substantial project for Kinder Morgan. Um, since, since they've made this deal, uh, Kinder Morgan Canada, their Calgary-based subsidiary, the share price in that company has fallen. Um, debt ratings agencies have indicated that the company is under review um, because the remaining company may not be able to support its previous debt rating. Uh, financial analysts have come out and said that this company's earnings growth uh, would have been about 5% with this project. Without the project, it's only about 2 to 3% compared with Enbridge or TransCanada, which have uh, kind of growth outlooks of uh, in the double digits, so around 10%. So... 
this was an important project for this company. Um, whether or not this was a preferred outcome for them, um, I don't think we know yet. They haven't really come out and said what they had wanted. I think they really probably had wanted this project to go forward and them to continue owning it, but they didn't want to take the risk of getting halfway through having uh, the British Columbia government slap them with all sorts of new onerous regulations, uh, making it impossible for them to finish. So they didn't want to have a kind of a half-finished project. So from that point of view, maybe this was a uh, maybe this was a win for them. But even with the deal to buy the existing pipeline and and essentially build the pipeline expansion, the project isn't in the clear even with the feds running the show. No, I think there will still be some uh, some difficulty on the ground getting the project built. Um, the environmental groups in British Columbia have signaled that um, that they intend to uh, ramp up their efforts to disrupt the process, the the project with protests. And in addition to that, um, Premier John Horgan last week in BC, uh, for the first time, referred directly to the uh, the protesters and said, "If you're going to protest, do it peacefully." which was the first time he had said that. And um, it's kind of an indication that he also expects and maybe uh, is on the side of or uh, thinks it's likely that that these protests will ramp up. Um, so there is still going to be these challenges on the ground. Now, having said that, the federal government was in court just a couple days after buying this project and uh, seeking a stricter injunction. So seeking... Um, a larger berth for in which protesters can't cross closer to the project. Um, and they've indicated that they want to use what's called crown immunity to um, assert their federal authority. And uh, they've given some fairly clear indications that they're going to push ahead with this project. What they want to do is get it built or get uh, get it partially built, have some of that hard work done, then mm -hmm. turn around and sell it at a profit back to the private sector. They don't want to be a long-term owner. So... All indications are that they want to build it, um, but then on the other side, there are indications from the green groups and from uh, the BC government that there will be continued protests. So you you mentioned crown immunity. Um, does that mean that BC has less recourse than they did before? Even the court challenge that BC the the constitutional reference that that BC is has launched um, that that doesn't. Uh, have as much weight. Yeah, so that is the position of the federal government and also the Alberta government. Uh, on the day that the deal was announced, both of these these governments said, um, you know, a, a provincial government doesn't have the authority to challenge the federal government on these things. And it's, it's options for challenging a crown corporation, a federal crown corporation are also limited. Um, and that's kind of what's meant by this uh, this crown immunity in, in some respects. Uh, however, when asked about it, because uh, John Horgan had to answer whether or not he would be able to impose provincial regulations on a federally owned crown corporation, he, uh, he was as adamant as ever that um, he thinks he can restrict the flows of commodities through his province. He's looking to restrict a substance, which is bitumen, rather than a pipeline. Um, so yeah, the I mean, it, there's sort of lines being drawn here with British Columbia digging in on their side and the federal government saying uh, they do have the authority, they're going to exert the, their authority 
And with this being a crown corporation, they should have more uh, recourse to do so. Okay. And what do you think Canadians should make of, of news uh, Wednesday uh, from the CEO of Suncor Energy saying that it's going to it's going to continue to avoid spending on large growth projects in the country despite uh, the move to ensure the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion is built? Uh, and they're you know they're talking about the fact that Canada is falling behind other jurisdictions in terms of competitiveness. Yeah, so I was at that uh, at that meeting this morning where uh, where Suncor said that. Uh, so what Steve Williams has said um, over and over again is that um, if you look at the combination of um, of the regulatory burden in Canada, uh, royalty payments in Canada, taxes, as well as the amount of time it takes to get a project through either the National Energy Board or the Alberta Energy Regulator, it's just too onerous. And a company like Suncor has other options that they can invest in projects outside of Canada. And what he said is that they're going to continue to do that. So he, he described the federal government's purchase of this pipeline as, a, uh, as an encouraging step, but the combination of all those other factors needs to be put into um put into place and and kind of reviewed in in some in total before he's willing to uh, to put more capital to work in Canada. So while a pipeline is an important piece to this whole energy puzzle in the country, it's not a cure all to some of the issues that the oil patch is seeing in Canada. No, exactly. He said he said it was encouraging that the federal government wasn't going to allow this pipeline to fail uh, the way. Northern Gateway, Energy East have, but um, it, it, it's it's one part. The other parts are taxes, royalty payments, regulations, the amount of time it takes to get a project approved or disapproved. Um, all of those things need to be need to be looked at. And this is this is one thing. This is one positive event for them. But they said there are t- still too many issues on the other side. Okay. And regarding Trans Mountain, where do we go from here? Or what can Canadians expect to see over the next few months? So what we're expecting over the next couple months, and in fact, over the next couple weeks, is uh, construction to restart on the pipeline. When uh, Finance Minister Bill Morneau was in negotiations with Kinder Morgan, um, one of the one of the deals that was struck was a was a restart on construction immediately. So we can expect to see construction activity ramp back up. And uh, we can expect to see that fairly quickly here. The other, the other thing we're expecting to see is um, potentially they've signaled the federal government has signaled that they do not want to own this project long term, and so they're they are already out there shopping the project, trying to find a buyer. They want to find a third party to buy it, potentially um, some uh, some First Nations interest to buy it. And, uh, and we'll see whether or not that happens. The Fort Mackay First Nation near Fort McMurray has already expressed an interest in buying a stake in the project, but we, we don't know yet. There haven't been any, there have been expressions of interest, but no offers. So Kinder Morgan is keeping its data room open and these data rooms are used uh, when a company is looking to market an asset for sale. So they're keeping their data room open for, for the federal government and that that agreement is in place for only through the summer. So if they, if they're not able to sell this pipeline by by the end of the summer, then the onus is all on the federal government to uh, to get an agreement to get it sold. Okay. Well, uh, Jeffrey, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk. Thank you. 
Emma Graney covers provincial politics for the Edmonton Journal and is host of the Press Gallery podcast. So Emma, now that we have this pipeline deal in place, what does the Notley government do now? Oh, that's a very good question, Dave. I actually asked Rachel Notley that during her rah, 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 we got a pipeline uh, press conference the other day. And the answer seemed to be, well, what we're going to do now is we're going to figure out this $2 billion indemnity backstop pool fund thing. She was a little more eloquent than I am about that, but that was the general gist of it. So Alberta's got to figure out exactly what it's doing with this $2 billion bucks where it's going to go, how that's going to work. And that's kind of the task at hand for the government right now. They seem as though the work to to really, I guess, cement this pipeline, it seems as though they feel that that work is kind of, I don't want to say wrapped up now because mm-hmm. that makes it far too final, but they do feel as though they've made some giant bounds towards getting that thing done. Worth noting as well, they don't actually have um, a cabinet meeting at all this week here in Alberta. So I think that kind of speaks to just how much, just how big of a deal this was for the Alberta government. So that $2 billion, this is a potential investment. It's yeah. not a guarantee, but it's kind of like what the feds were talking about in advance of the deal to indemnify the feds against any risk. Yeah, it's so it's up to $2 billion. It won't necessarily mm-hmm. be the whole lot. Could just be, you know, it could be five bucks here, five bucks there. But anything that we, by we, I mean Alberta, invest into this pipeline and put as an indemnity is going to be transferred now, first of all, that money's only due once the oil starts flowing through the pipeline. Rachel Notley has been very clear that Alberta will not put up any cash until we have a guaranteed investment. In fact, that was one of the, um, I guess that was one of the parameters of Alberta supporting this federal deal in the first place was that Albertans get a return on investment and that we have some concrete guarantees that this thing will get built. So it's up to $2 billion. And then that will, whatever money gets put in, will eventually be turned into equity. So in a way, Alberta will own, you know, a little bit of the pipeline. Does this deal make Alberta's turn off the taps bill, Bill 12, mm-hmm. uh, irrelevant? Does it take away the need for the, the bill? Irrelevant isn't the word I'd, I'd probably choose to use here, but it does make it perhaps less important at this particular juncture. Now, the Premier has been very clear that they're going to keep Bill 12 on the books. So basically, this gives the Energy Minister the power to essentially limit oil um, and gas exports. And that's exports to anywhere. That's exports to BC, that's exports to, you know, Ontario, to Manitoba, to wherever. And she can limit, she has immense powers under that bill. Now, they're keeping that on the books because Rachel Notley has said, well, just in case something like this happens again, just in case BC keep doing what they be doing and keep doing more court challenges and, and kind of keep harassing the project is, is the term she prefers to use, then we will have this power on the books. Now, it's worth noting, too, that Bill 12, it's kind of an interesting bill. It's been, um, it has received royal assent already. It received royal assent last month. However, mm-hmm. it hasn't been proclaimed yet because they're still figuring out the regulations. And when um, BC turned around and said, your Bill 12, it sucks and we're going to sue you about it because it's not constitutional, um, Rachel Notley, we asked about that. We asked her about that in a, in a press conference and she kind of went, thanks for showing your hand, BC. Now we know exactly what you're going to be arguing against, so we're going to develop these regulations. 
she kind of implied in a way that we'll be able to avoid any lawsuits from BC. So that's the next step too. Um, when you, further to your other question of the next steps here, it's fi- figuring out the two billion bucks mm-hmm. and figuring out the regulations for Bill Twelve. We're not going to see those for quite some time. I don't know when. When in fact we'll see them because the government's still trying to figure out the best way to come up with what the regulations should be yep. and how they tie into this whole situation. So where does this put Rachel Notley politically in Alberta? There was uh, a big push by the NDP government to become flag wavers for this project and kind of fight back criticism from the conservatives in Alberta that the NDP don't care about the oil patch. Um, But a lot of it was hinging on her government seeing this pipeline through to fruition. We have a deal in place but there's still some other factors at play. There's the BC reference uh, case. There's court challenges Mm -hmm. um, from First Nations in in BC. Where does this put her politically? In an interesting spot, (laughs) (laughs) I would say. Um, That's an interesting question because you're right that, and we've talked about this on the Press Gallery podcast that we do each, each week. We've talked about this multiple times that the... Alberta NDP was kind of ended up in government to the surprise probably even of the Alberta NDP and a lot of them perhaps traditionally wouldn't be supporting pipelines a lot of the backbenchers you know some have protested pipelines in the past um now what they're left to do is to really convince doubters of which there are many that the Alberta NDP does in fact support pipelines that's the message they're going to try and that that they have been trying to sell for an awfully long time they're going to have to keep on selling that message and from the UCP the United Conservative Party perspective what they're doing is trying to undermine that every step of the way, as mm-hmm. one might imagine for the opposition party. Even just um, just today, they put out a press release saying, well, is the NDP going to side with Albertans for this private members motion that we're putting, that leader Jason Kenney is putting forward? Or are they going to side with their liberal allies, Justin Trudeau and, you know... Um, and, and that's the tone that we're seeing here. And we're going to keep on seeing the UCP hammer that for sure. And the NDP is just going to have to do what it can to try and... I, to try and, I guess, deal with that messaging yeah. from, from the UCP. So the, where we're at now is that construction is supposed to ramp up yeah. on the pipeline. Does the conservative argument in Alberta lose steam with every kind of step forward in, with construction? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, their argument is, well, you. their argument last week when, when the deal was reached with the federal government, um, the UCP got up, Jason Kenney got up as leader and, and just basically hammered the NDP for being so celebratory about this, saying, you're celebrating too early. Yeah, great. That's great. We've made it. We're, t- we're making a little tiny step forward here. But, you know, we haven't seen it. It's not done yet. It's not done yet. But by the same token, when I was talking earlier about those um, the parameters by which Rachel Notley agreed to sign on, to agree mm-hmm. to support this federal deal, one of them was construction must restart ASAP. And that was the idea of getting behind them. Like, no, this is really, this is really going again. They're building this right now. So the Alberta election uh, expected in about a year yeah. is still going to hinge on this issue in a lot of aspects, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and 
And that's going to be a really interesting um, dynamic and conversation in the election because, of course, the pipeline's not going to be finished by the time <laughs> and by the time the next Alberta election rolls around in a year. There's yeah. no way. How far will it be done? Like, how how long will they be left to go? What are the protests like in BC at that point? And what's Alberta kind of doing about them? I mean, all of these moving parts are going to be a very interesting part of the conversation in the 2019 Alberta election. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thanks for joining me, Emma. Hey, thanks for having me. Today's announcement by the federal government does not reduce the risk of a diluted bitumen spill and the impact that would have on BC's economy and its environment. Mike Smith is the politics columnist for the province in Vancouver. So I'm just going to kind of dive into it. Um, Where does the deal leave BC and Premier John Horgan? Well, the Kinder Morgan pipeline is a very controversial project here in British Columbia. The public is divided on it, although if you take a look at some of the recent opinion polls, it will tell you that a majority of British Columbians support the pipeline, which may be counterintuitive to a lot of other Canadians if if they're wondering why the BC government is, is fighting so hard against it. Actually, most people in the province, according to many polls in a row, actually support the project. Now, the opinions around the project are fall along regional lines in British Columbia as well. Most of the opposition is centered in uh, in and around Vancouver, where the NDP have a lot of seats and did well in the last election. A lot of the support for the project is in the rural and the regions and the other regions of the province where the NDP did not do as well in the last election. So in some ways, Horgan is taking a position that appeals more to his supporters in the ridings that he has won. So maybe that lessens his risk on, on why he's uh, uh, fighting the pipeline. The other thing to keep in mind is there is a very powerful environmental wing inside the NDP that are opposed to the pipeline. And of course, he's in a minority government right now, supported by the BC Green Party. And they, of course, are dead set against the pipeline. So he, he has to make keep them on side. And it's one of the key reasons he's fighting so hard against the pipeline. Yeah, a lot of this is is electoral, uh, electorally focused that he, he doesn't want to lose the support of the people who are keeping his government in power. He's not necessarily against right. the energy industry. He just doesn't like this pipeline. Well, in a lot of ways, it's kind of funny because Horgan, in a lot of ways, is regarded as more on the economic development side of the party. He's, he's not really regarded as like a strong environmentalist in a lot of ways. Like, for example, right now, he's vigorously pursuing liquefied natural gas development in British Columbia. So a lot of people have pointed that out. How, how come you're against this pipeline, but you're, you're pursuing these other big fossil fuel projects? And he says, well, this one is the pipeline is riskier. They're afraid of a spill. But the political truth of it is there is a very powerful environmental wing of the NDP that he needs to keep on side and he needs to keep the Green Party happy. So there is a lot of sort of um, technical political considerations that are going into all of this. And uh, he, he certainly has stood his ground on it so far. Now, Alberta Premier Rachel Notley has said that the the federal purchase of the project actually makes it harder for the B.C. government's opposition uh, to the project. What where does that leave the the premier? Is there is there actual concern among the government that the idea that federal projects face fewer hurdles uh, hurts their argument in any way? Uh, Horgan says no. He says it doesn't matter who owns the pipeline. It doesn't change British Columbia's position on it. It doesn't 
change their strategy in opposing the pipeline. So what the BC government has done is they have uh, made a direct reference to the BC Court of Appeal, which is the highest court in British Columbia, and they've asked the court to rule on jurisdiction, whether BC has the jurisdictional power to block shipments of diluted bitumen through that pipeline. The federal government is saying, no, you do not have that authority. This is a federally regulated pipeline. It's a federally regulated project. You don't have the power to tell anyone else what what oil goes into that pipeline or not. So a lot of experts that I've spoken to think that the BC government will actually lose that court case. The other thing to keep in mind, though, is there are other court cases going on, including continuing opposition from some First Nations. Not all First Nations in British Columbia are opposed to the pipeline. A lot of them have actually signed on revenue sharing agreements with Kinder Morgan. But a lot of key coastal First Nations in particular are opposed to the pipeline. They're fighting the project in court. The BC government has signed on as an intervener. That could be the biggest threat to the pipeline going forward. The other big unknown here is civil disobedience and protesters trying to stop the pipeline through direct action, lying down in front of bulldozers or whatever. This is a province that in the past we have seen massive civil disobedience against environmental projects uh, in the past, notably the Clackwood Sound blockades of the 1990s, which I covered way back when, when there were like a thousand people arrested and taken away in paddy wagons. That happened on a remote logging road on Vancouver Island. The opponents of this pipeline now today say this will be even bigger. Back in the 1990s, there was no social media. There was no internet. It was a remote logging road. They still had a 1,000 people arrested. This time, you're going to be able to take a, a sky train to the protest sites. People will be able to organize online. They say it will be much, much bigger the opposition to the project on the ground, that could be the biggest threat to the Trans Mountain Pipeline going forward. And doesn't that put the province kind of in a in an awkward spot? The you know the courts have have ruled that um, the injunction against the protesters should put them farther away from the sites. It leaves police up to enforce these injunctions, and ultimately, policing in BC is controlled by the province in the Solicitor General's office. Um, does, does that put the premier and his cabinet in a, in a bit of an awkward position to have an opposition to a pipeline, but a responsibility to uphold uh, civil order? Yeah. I mean, you could be in a very strange situation where the government is fighting the pipeline in court, but they're also responsible for arresting uh, the people who are opposing it, uh, through civil disobedience and blocking construction. So yeah, that is a bit of an awkward uh, situation. Uh, the, what, what, Hor- what John Horgan has said on that is that, He respects people who are protesting against the pipeline, but he's encouraging people to be peaceful. Um, He doesn't want to see violence. He doesn't want to see anyone get hurt. At the same time, passions flare on this thing. Uh, If you you have a situation where there are hundreds of people blocking construction of this project, things could, could get tense, could get out of hand when people are getting arrested. It's going to be not only a test of of Horgan's will, but of course, a, a test of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's determination to get the pipeline built if he has to do it over the opposition of a, of a provincial government and hundreds of people potentially protesting it on the streets. So plenty to watch for this summer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, for sure. It's still a very live issue. 
And it's going to be fascinating to watch it unfold here in the days and weeks ahead. Excellent. Well, thanks for your time, Mike. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime. Here's what else is happening in Canada today. Ontario voters go to the polls in an election that will likely see a new government. Premier Kathleen Wynne essentially conceded over the weekend, and it's anticipated the NDP or progressive conservatives will bring an end to more than a decade of liberal rule. And after weeks of controversy, environmental activist David Suzuki will receive an honorary degree from the University of Alberta Thursday. The decision from the university was met with opposition from both politicians and several university faculty who feel Suzuki's comments on Alberta's oil industry make him unsuitable for a public institution's highest honor. 10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama, edited by Carrie Ann Sproul, artwork by Lori Waftel, and I'm Dave Breckenridge. <laughs>